The scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Mount Olympus. Um, I'm Bree McGill. My husband, Matt, and I are currently up in Seattle for grad school, but MOPC has been our home church for a very long time. Um, and as you all are the church that sent me off to seminary and continues to support me as I pursue ordination in the PCUSA, uh, it's just really a privilege to be back here and to get to dedicate my nephew, uh, to be invited to preach again. I am very grateful to be with you. And I was reminded just this morning in the 830 service how gracious this church is when I started in my sermon and thought that I had lost page two of my notes and was stumbling on for just a minute before I realized that the printer had printed them double-sided. <laughs> so that was fun. Uh, <laughs> that is all to say, I, I love you all, <laughs> and, um, and I reprinted them, so hopefully it'll be fine. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this people and this place. Thank you for bringing us here together for whatever reason we may be here. Um, whether this is our home church, whether we're visiting, whether we are family, um, whether we just really need a place to seek you and your peace and your promises this Christmas. I pray that you would fill this space, um, that you would speak to each of our hearts as we need it this morning. And Lord, I just ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text for this fourth Sunday in Advent comes from Micah chapter 5, verse 2 through the beginning of verse 5, um, and it was read for us by Heather this morning as we lit our candle, so I'm going to go ahead and read it again. I mean, if you'd like to follow along, um, there should be some pew Bibles in front of you. I think you can find it on page 902. Um, or if you brought your own, it will be sandwiched between Jonah and Nahum in that latter half of the Old Testament. But let's listen to the words of the prophet Micah. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. 
and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. This is the word of the Lord. So Micah prophesied that the Messiah would one day be born in Bethlehem. He promised a new king for the people of Israel. But why would they need a new king in the first place? What was wrong with the old one? To get to the heart of what this text might mean for us this Advent season, um, I think we're going to have to take a look and go back at what was happening in Micah's day. For starters, there wasn't just one king, there were two. Some 800 years before Jesus was born, when Micah wrote this text, the kingdom that had once been united under King David and King Solomon was split. So now you had Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And the kings in both of these nations were notoriously bad. Over and over again, these kings were forgetting the law and they were turning to the gods of neighboring countries and worshiping them and building them high places in Israel. And God had become so tired of their idolatry that he let a foreign nation, the Assyrians, come in and conquer the entire northern kingdom of Israel. And around this time, Micah is teaching in Jerusalem in the south, warning that the same fate is about to come to Judah. Assyria was now encroaching on Judah's borders, and the country's resources were strained. And instead of caring for the alien and the poor, like the law required, those people who were in power, the corporate and political and religious leaders, were trying to consolidate as much wealth as they could at the expense of the common people. And so Micah is there calling out the mass political corruption and economic inequality that is taking place in Jerusalem. And he makes the pronouncement that because of these things, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and that the nation would be taken into exile. The same fate that came to Israel will come to Judah. So why do they need a new king? Because the king they had was inadequate. He couldn't keep the country at peace. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now you are walled around with a wall. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the ruler of Israel upon the cheek. And then in verse 2, Micah shifts. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel. And he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. This prophecy about a new king was meant to give them hope. And I think it's also meant to do that for us today. We use this text in Advent on a regular basis in our lectionary. And it helps us remember the coming of Christ and anticipate and hope for the reign of this new king, especially when we can see that our world still has many of the same problems and uncertainties as Micah's. In Micah's time, creditors were seizing people's homes and land and consolidating their own belongings. But today, I imagine some of you know someone who's lost a home. Most of us probably felt the 2008 financial crisis. One of our good friend's parents had their home foreclosed in the housing crash, and I know they were not alone. <laughs> in his time, Micah saw a mass refugee crisis when people from Israel were streaming into Judah because their capital had just been lost. Today, we could consider the many 
immigrant children separated from their parents at the U.S.-Mexico border, or the large number of refugees fleeing violence in South America, seeking a new place, safe place to start their lives. And the group who came most under fire from Micah were the political leaders who were morally corrupt and he says would rule in favor of whoever gave them the biggest bribe. Say what you will about our politics today, but I think both sides of the aisle would agree that we've built up a powerful lobbying industry, for example, that spends billions of dollars every year serving special interests over the public good. Not to mention the number of other political scandals that have taken place across the years. The point is we still face many injustices and uncertainties in the world. The problems of Micah's day haven't gone away. And like Micah's audience, we are reminded that this is not the end of the story. There is a reason to hope. A new king is coming. We wait for his birth every Advent season. He is why we celebrate Christmas. He shall be the one of peace. There's only one problem, one key difference between Micah's time and ours. Micah was teaching about the Messiah to come, a future king. But for us today, this has already happened. The Messiah has already come. We know what happened in Bethlehem. We know who the woman in labor was that brought forth a son. We know that that son was from of old, the ancient days, that he was as John says, in the very beginning with God, we know that he came to establish God's kingdom and that he was known as the good shepherd, the one who cares for his people. So where is peace? Why is the world still reeling in injustice and uncertainty? And if that peace does exist, if Jesus did come to bring peace to the world, where do we find it? Sometimes peace feels incredibly elusive. So let's take a le another look at Micah's promise because it, it seems as though what's most important might be the easiest thing to miss. We in the US, like in the nation of Judah, are still very used to a top-down sort of system where power often lies with those most easily recognized. And in that time, everyone would have known of Jerusalem, maybe even have seen it its walls and palaces and the temple of Zion, that is the city of the king. And it was. It was the city of David, and God had promised David that his kingdom would be established forever. And even to Jesus' day and beyond, Jerusalem has been the seat of power in Israel, which is why Micah sounded mad in his day for predicting that it would ever fall. Jerusalem was the epitome of one nation under God. But Micah wasn't interested in the power of Jerusalem, the place where justice is supposed to come. He points to Bethlehem, the city where David was born, to the village where he worked as a shepherd before he became a great king. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, some translations even say too little to be among the clans of Judah, this is the place from which God will bring Israel's king of peace, from obscurity, from a place of seeming insignificance. In fact, by the time we get to Jesus, the wise men show up from the east looking for the one born king of the Jews because they've seen his star, and Herod doesn't even know where to find him. 
He has to call his own wise men, the chief priests and the scribes, who would have known the Hebrew scriptures better than anyone else, and ask where the Messiah was to be born, and they recall this text in Micah. In Matthew 2, verse 5 and 6, they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Which is a slightly different translation based on the Greek. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. The Messiah's birth was so obscure, most people missed it. Had a royal king been born in Jerusalem, they would have taken notice. And that's what people expected, right? That their Messiah would be a visible leader, that peace would come from someone in a position of power. And is that not sometimes what we also expect? In the last few election cycles, I was watching the debates and reading the news headlines just as frantically as the next person, listening for how each political candidate promised to fix the nation's problems. Or now that Amazon, for example, is opening up its new headquarters in DC and New York, people there are asking, well, what will this do for the city? Will it bring us new jobs or is it gonna blow up our housing costs? So much of the security in our lives feels wrapped up in these people and systems and corporations that make the big decisions and have the biggest bank accounts. And I'm not saying that they don't have power in our lives. The decisions made at those level of influence do make a big difference for bad or in many cases for good. And you'd be right to stand for justice in those places too. Micah does that himself. He's doing that at the time in Jerusalem. But he says, you would be wrong to believe that that is where you'll find lasting peace. Be wary of placing too much hope in those in power because human systems are broken and power is a fickle thing. Instead, we need to look to the one that lasts from ancient days to the end of days. Verse 4 says, He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Again, Micah is pointing to obscurity. Shepherds, the ones who are responsible for feeding the flocks, are at the bottom rung of the hierarchy in Israel. No one is listening to them or paying any attention to them or wants to be one of them. Also, you'll notice he says nothing here about military or political power. Despite the expectation that the Messiah would be a warrior king, Micah says in chapter 4 that in that time, nations will go to the house of the Lord to hear the word of the Lord, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. This Messiah is not interested in any form of violence to accomplish peace. Instead, he feeds his flock in the profound majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and that is where their security lies. So what does that mean today for us? Where does your peace come from? As we celebrate this season of Advent and the King of Peace who has already come, how is it that we go about recognizing his peace in the midst of our uncertainty? In the midst of our very real political and economic struggles? As we attempt to raise our children and grandchildren or seek God's guidance as a community in leading us to a new pastor? As we pray for those around the world, or maybe for some of us, even as we just try to get through a Christmas season that can sometimes bring more anxiety than joy. Micah says, they shall live secure 
For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. Where will you find peace? I can't answer that for each person, but I do wonder if it starts by noticing the things and people in our lives that by any other standards would seem insignificant. Perhaps it starts by remembering a helpless baby born in an obscure town to an otherwise nameless woman in a random barn on a day that no one noticed. Brothers and sisters, we worship a king that was born in a manger who rode into Jerusalem, the city of the king, not on a white horse, but on a donkey, who refused to rule by the sword and instead let himself be led to death on a cross. In what unexpected places and ways is Jesus showing up in our lives? Will we miss it? Where will you find peace? We heard this this morning in our children's sermon, but it bears repeating. Before his death, Jesus' words to his disciples were, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. May the peace of Christ be with all of you this Christmas season. Amen.